0: Bosses may come and go, peers may come and go, but you're always there. And I think it's easy sometimes when things aren't going away in our career to blame other people, but you've always got to look in the mirror and you've always got to say, well, what did I do? Or what role could I play? Or how can I improve myself? Because that's all you're going to be left with. It's really up to you. If you want something to change, you've got to make it happen. Now that's not to say that You know, there's many people who've helped me and will help you and what have you. But at the end of the day, you're thinking about your career a lot more than anyone else is. So you'll have the answers to what you need and you've got to be able to articulate those to people and influence.
1: Hi, I'm Dani. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole for what we call spend culture. This is Nicole, and today we are joined by the founder of Procurious, Tanya Siri. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. We're super excited to chat with you today. It's exciting to have someone who's really into the procurement space like yourself. Obviously, that's a big focus for us here at Procureify, So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Let's just start off by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today in your role.
0: Well, thank you. Well, look, I'll make it quick. Essentially, I started my career in marketing, which was fantastic. And then when I started my MBA, I learned about the wonderful world of procurement and operations and logistics and was really enticed to move across to the other side of the desk from selling to buying. And that was during my time. I actually went uh, finished my MBA at Penn State in uh, North America, and yeah, really got into procurement. Mm-hmm. Having worked in large companies, probably like a lot of young people, I really felt the desire to take my own destiny into my own hands and start my own business. And I really wanted to create something special, something that provided exceptional service to my customers and clients, but more than anything, I really had this burning desire to change the face of procurement and supply chain. So I started with one company, which was the faculty, then another company, the source, and then of course, Procurious, which is now the world's largest online network for procurement and supply chain. So yeah, for me, it was a real aspiration and you know, it's been very hard work, but I'm really proud of what we've achieved.
1: That's awesome. And to see the network of procurement specialists uh, that you have with Procurious is quite amazing. What in the procurement industry inspired you and showed you that there was a need for disruption?
0: I guess, first of all, my fascination with procurement and supply chain. I mean, I'm obviously, I'm kind of like the number one cheerleader for the profession, if you like, but I really fell in love with it because of the scale and the scope of what our roles achieve. And, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit today, because I think it's a huge opportunity for all professionals who are listening to this podcast. But I think what also, you know, from that marketing part of my career was the commerciality and the creativity that I think we can have in procurement and supply chain. And I think You know, I don't like to talk about uh, stereotypes from the past, but here I go. You know, we were caught in the back room and we were talking about the Brown Cardigan Brigade and I felt like that was a huge opportunity for everyone to understand just how creative we can be and the scale and scope. And I think in the last 20 years and particularly right now is an exciting opportunity to be in our profession because now more than ever, We can be really creative about how we create value for our organizations. So I think it was time for something different. I think also having been in the profession for a couple of decades you do get tired of going to the same sort of conferences and having the same sort of conversations so what we've created with you know our online network Precurious with our big ideas something really fresh that will get people energized and inspired again in, in the value that can be delivered
1: I love that. And I love that you touched on the ability to be creative in that space. Like you said, there tends to be kind of a perception around what procurement is. And even for us, it isn't really something that people refer to as a sexy industry. But I think there's so much opportunity and potential, especially for millennials and people that are new to the workforce. So, in your opinion, is there something that organizations can be doing to kind of attract these younger generations or people that might not be as familiar with procurement to kind of maybe get into that career? Well,
0: absolutely. And I think there's going to be no surprise in my answer It's social media. Obviously, I feel that social media is a really valuable tool for us today for a whole lot of reasons. So I'm obviously biased, but just all the attributes of our profession that I've just talked about, the scale and scope, the commerciality, the creativity, I feel that if procurement professionals and particularly leaders around the world were able to shine a light on how interesting this profession was, we would be attracting a lot more people. So I really have been encouraging everyone in the profession for the last few years to really show some of the fantastic stories about what procurement and supply chain gets involved in because of We just about touch everything in the organisation. And I think if people knew that and how global the reach was, you know, they'd be very much attracted. I also think with social media that it's a great opportunity for leaders to really help drive change in their own organisation and to make sure that When they're leading a very diversified group of people, that people can see their footprint on social media and what they're worried about, whether it's innovation or change. So there's a lot of benefits to uh, using social media. But I think more than anything, people need to understand what it is we do and how fun it is. So that would be my number one tip. Get on social media and show how interesting it is to work in your organisation.
1: That's great. And I love that you pointed out that tool because... I think it is so important. Most of us are getting our information from social media before anywhere else. Nowadays, when people wake up in the morning, it's usually the first thing they check. And so <laughs> utilizing that to your benefit, I think is great. And I know even for us, when I ask candidates how they've heard about Procurify, it's usually through our social media channels. So definitely has a huge impact. And like you said, for the procurement space to really take advantage of that and show what you're actually doing. And and like you said, too, you're touching on all these different areas areas of the business, getting into procurement is actually a great opportunity to expose yourself to a lot more than I think people might be aware of. Now, in your opinion, how do you think that people that work in procurement can make the biggest impact in their organization?
0: Well, once again, my answer may seem a little bit biased, but I really think building your network is a critical success factor for any profession, but particularly for procurement and supply chain. And I think, you know, if we look at it, uh, building your network outside the organisation and inside the organisation. And let's start inside the organisation. I think it's critical that procurement and supply chain pros build really strong relationships throughout the organisation. Finance is somewhere where you should have a lot of friends. They should really be helping you with your business case for change and helping you quantify the benefits of some of the things you're trying to implement Finance is a great backstop and supporter if there's any questions on your project about the financial viability or the ROI. So you've got to love your finance team. And, of course, operations. Do You know, first of all, you really need to understand the needs of these important stakeholders. You really need to be seen as a business partner for them. So they're two things that I think are critical to have a really strong internal network. At Procurious, we talk a lot about getting big ideas through big companies, and you're not going to get your big idea through your big company unless you have that support network internally. Now, if we switch this to external networks, well, look, we all know that finding your next job, you know, a huge percentage of jobs are filled through people's networks, so that's very important if you're looking to move. But in your current role, your external network is critical because, Let's think about it. With business strategy, it's all about beating your competitors. And if you don't understand what's happening in the competitor space, if you don't know how your competitors and your peers are managing procurement and supply chain, how can you outmaneuver them? How can you quickly adapt and adopt some of the strategies they're using to make sure your business is keeping up? I think external networks, external market intelligence, is really critical, not just for getting your next job, but being successful in the job you have. So that would be my number one tip. Think about your networks. That's a great way to really bolster your career development.
1: Yeah, I think you made a really great point. Your network expands not only just internally, but externally as well. And both of them are equally as important, obviously, for different reasons. Now, We know that procurement technology has evolved throughout the years, obviously, as most technology has, but some organizations can be hesitant to change and bringing on this kind of technology. So where do you see this going in the next few years in terms of people actually using procurement technology to help them with their processes?
0: Well, it's inevitable. I mean, and I think that a lot of people would like to think that AI and cognitive are going to go away, but they're not. I think there's a lot of people in procurement and supply chain who are potentially scared of these changes and hoping that they can maybe retire before this is all implemented because let's face it, in the, uh, let's call it the old economy, people built their careers on knowledge and what they knew and often people in large organizations build their career based on their ability to solve problems so they've almost got a vested interest in there being problems now i'm being a bit provocative here but you know i kind of think that when we have this next generation of procurement supply chain professionals come through You know, it's going to be inevitable that technology is going to take over a lot of what we're doing today. But what I'm talking about with you know, our community now is the importance of being human because at the end of the day a lot of these transactional tasks we do are going to be taken away from us and we're going to find that there's going to be spend compliance, which I know you're very passionate about is creating spend cultures, cost-conscious cultures, are very important. It's going to, compliance with spend is going to be a no-brainer the technology is not going to be able to do is to have this breakthrough thinking, this creative commerciality that I was talking about earlier. So it's going to fall back on the procurement and supply chain pros to do the really sexy stuff, which is to think outside of the box, create new ways of working, maybe even totally change what they're buying and the way they buy it. So I think it's going to be really exciting. You've probably seen that quote, AI is going to just be like electricity. We're not even going to be talking about AI shortly. It's just going to be powering everything. So I think we should just get ready for it and adapt. And how we're going to adapt is going to be through our humanness. And I know you wanted to speak today about culture, and I'll probably elaborate a little bit more on how we can use our soft skills to drive culture when we
1: come to that. Yeah, I love the point that you made about keeping that human aspect because I think you're right. It's inevitable that technology is going to take over a lot of functions, but it's how we use that and what we put into it and look at it as more of a resource than anything. And like you said, adding that human aspect to our jobs, I think it opens up even more opportunity, which is really great. What are some of the common practices that you've seen when it comes to organizations trying to cultivate a healthy spend culture?
0: The biggest mistake companies make is that they don't walk the talk at the senior level. And I think this is critical, is that the most successful cost-conscious cultures I've seen have been those where the CEO, the CFO, everyone in the C-level walk the talk. So, they don't have sandwiches at their meeting. And it's often the crazy little things that get people out in the organization talking about it. I had one CFO who said, Well why do we need to buy pens? You know, I pick up a pen every hotel I go to or everywhere there's a free pen and he made a a point of just having this huge bowl of free pens on his desk. Now it seems a bit silly someone running a billion dollar company or billions of dollars having a, a bowl of free Depends on his desk, but often multi million dollar savings targets are made one dollar at a time. And if you can get everyone in your organization understanding that every dollar they spend helps towards the goal, then you've really won it. But I think when you see two different CFO and the CEO out staying at six star hotels and ordering French champagne over dinner while they're asking everyone to cut costs, it's quite difficult that's probably the number one mistake I've seen is that the C-level don't sort of walk the talk.
1: Absolutely. I think leading by example, like you said, sets the expectation for so many things in an organization and especially that spend culture. If you want people to get on board with what you're trying to do, you have to be modeling that behavior. And you kind of touched on procurement and finance, needing to work together and using each other as a network. But I know oftentimes they can buttheads heads when it comes to spend management. So, in your opinion, is there a way that these two functions can work together better to help the overall goals of the organization?
0: Look, to me, it makes no sense because these should be the most aligned, you know, functions in the organization, both. Uh, love to save money, both love to keep a close eye on spend management. So really their goals should be aligned and they should be working together to convince operations to help them, support them, uh, deliver the cost savings. So um, I think the sooner they can get on the same page, the better. And just remember that they are functions. Is that the operations is where it happens, and that they have to be there to support, but also keep them honest. Uh, you know the operations and the production side of things. So yeah, I just think uh, yeah we need to knock their heads together and get them working. They need to find the areas of
1: common ground, I guess. Absolutely. I think it's definitely easy to kind of keep a narrow mind in terms of what you're trying to achieve, but you're right. Their ability to work together creates a huge impact. And like you said, bumping their heads together and getting them thinking the same way is is a great step. What companies have you seen that are doing the best job at transforming procurement and purchasing for the better and why? Is there anyone in particular that comes to mind for you?
0: Well, I wouldn't want to single out any of my favourite community members, obviously. But look, let me answer this in a diplomatic way. I think the companies that are really transforming are the ones that get it. You know, when you have a CEO stand up and say, look, yes, we are a big brand, but really our company is just a major supply chain then you know that they've got it and that's when it becomes very exciting for professionals in our profession because really companies are just supply chains, not just, but they are supply chains. And I think once the leadership of the organisation has that recognition then obviously the full focus comes on the procurement and supply chain. And I think probably the FMCG and retail organisations obviously have been the first to recognise this. But, you know, I think large resource companies now see themselves as supply chains. And, you know, I think that makes it a very exciting time for us and some great career opportunities for the millennials coming through.
1: Is there any advice that you would give to new millennials coming into the workforce or things to look for when they're exploring new career opportunities specifically in procurement?
0: I know that this is said of the millennials and I totally think it's a great idea which is choose your boss not your company because really the boss that you have in the first few years of your career are critical to shaping your experience. Now look That's not to say don't do your due diligence on the company because large companies can have amazing, you know, programs both for training and experience, particularly graduate programs that will really help in your career development. But I think it's really critical to have amazing bosses early in your career. And what do we mean by amazing bosses I think you know people who are selfless and are genuinely committed to developing people, and when I say selfless, I'm sort of thinking generous with their own network, both inside the company and outside, and I think that's something, given that I believe your network is one of your most important career boosters, someone who's willing to introduce you to their external network and vouch for you within the organisation is really important. And obviously give you the stretch targets and opportunities to work on projects. But I I guess my advice to Generation Next is, just please be a bit more patient than uh, you might otherwise be because (laughs) your boss may have great plans, great intentions and may be a little constrained for a period of time in offering those to you. So you've got to kind of wait it out like they do. I think that a lot of people these days make really rash decisions when things aren't going their way quickly and they kind of probably cut themselves off from some great opportunities if they hung in there a bit longer. But definitely choose your boss and use social media to do your due diligence, you know. What are those bosses saying online? What things are they involved in? What's happening within the company? That'll go a long way. I love people that come to interviews with a lot of questions. You know, it's not just about the uh, employer asking you questions. You need to ask them and do some due diligence and that will impress them.
1: I think that's great. Like you said, this is a big investment, especially your first job. And it's more than about the role or the company. It's the people that are going to be teaching you. And I can definitely relate in being impatient and kind of wanting things now. But I think oftentimes, if you're able to wait it out and see the big picture, there's a lot of value there. Now, for yourself... How do you continue to develop your learning and education? Are there any blogs or books that you would recommend? Or is there something that you do to continue to develop your knowledge?
0: Well, once again, you won't be surprised with this response, but Procurious, obviously, with all our blogs and news, you, you know, I've kind of created my perfect news and learning channel by creating Precurious, So that problem solved. But Obviously, I'm on all social media. Everyone I follow on LinkedIn is in procurement and supply chain. I've got a very sort of narrow view of the world, I guess. So all my contacts are just in this profession, you know, with Twitter, even Facebook a little bit now. Facebook is more my personal channel, but definitely with Twitter and LinkedIn, Procurious, that's where I follow. But I still believe that face-to-face events are very important. I think you've got to have your offline and online networking and learning happening for maximum impact. So I love going to the big events, meeting people, listening, learning. Probably I learn most from my network, to be honest, and I lean on my network. I reach out to them and ask questions and get educated. You know, if there's something I don't understand, I reach out
1: to someone and have them explain it to me. That's very powerful. I really like that you keep touching on social media because as much as it gets a lot of flack, I think it's so important. And it's a great way to connect with people and to see things in real time and just reach an audience of like-minded individuals that you just can't get from other ways. But those face-to-face conversations are so important as well. And I think just supporting people that are in the same industry as us and wanting to share your education and learning, but also uh, be open to theirs. And I know that we touched on this briefly But how do you think emerging tech like AI and especially blockchain will affect procurement in the future?
0: I think it will totally transform. What we do, I mean it will make us so much more efficient it will alleviate a lot of the transactional challenges and requirements we 've had in the past, and really deliver us what we 've been talking about for the last twenty years sort of utopia that we 've got clean data we 've uh, got all the you know operational transactional parts of our job taken care of, and we can focus on the relationships and I think that's going to be the key role for us moving forward. I mean, we're going to be in the centre of this sort of AI-enabled ecosystem or supply network. And when all the data is pointing in different directions, it's going to be us, the humans who step in and resolve issues and use that commercial creativity to create new forms of value and resolve problems. You know, one of my messages I talk a lot about is, you know, this humanness side of things because Generation Next has this great opportunity. They've got all the technical skills. You know, they won't be phased by all the technology and they'll expect to have all this data and the knowledge. But what they need to really focus on developing is their soft skills and their ability to influence others and listen and negotiate. That is the big Opportunity. If you were in the workforce now, I'd be saying, look, I know you know the technology, but what I want to see from you is your ability to influence people and get them to come over to your side or to understand where they're coming from, uh, because I see that as a big gap at the moment.
1: I really like that you touched on that, that human side and the soft skills that I think people just kind of assume everyone has. But I can say from my experience, it's definitely not the case. And it's actually such a great skill to have in applying that with the technical knowledge. I'm really excited to see where the next generation coming into the workforce can take things. And my last question for you and something that I've been asking our guests at the end of their interviews is, what is the best piece of advice that you've been given so far in your career?
0: One that I has always stuck with me is that you are the common denominator in your career. And so what that means is that there's nobody else that you'll ever work with who has more of a vested interest in your career than you. So bosses may come and go, peers may come and go, but you're always there. And I think it's easy sometimes when things aren't going away in our career to blame other people, but you've always got to look in the mirror and you've always got to say, well, what did I do? Or what role could I play? Or how can I improve myself? Because that's all you're going to be left with. It's really up to you. If you want something to change, you've got to make it happen. Now, that's not to say that You know, there's many people who've helped me and will help you and what have you. But at the end of the day, you're thinking about your career a lot more than anyone else is. So you'll have the answers to what you need and you've got to be able to articulate those to people and influence those people to um, come around to your way of thinking and support you. So you're the common denominator in your career. That's probably my favourite.
1: I really like that. I always say the only consistency in your failures and your successes is yourself. So people can be in and out of your life and impacting it. But really, like you said, you're the common denominator. I think that's super important and valuable information to take forward. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It's been really exciting chatting with you. You've had such a fascinating career and to see where you are now with your organization. I feel like I've learned a lot and I know that our audience is going to be really excited as well.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm here if you ever need me.
1: Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Spend Culture Stories podcast, sponsored by Procurify. If you'd like to learn more about your spend culture, take our quiz at spendculture.com.